Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. What up, everybody? This is Rob Brandt. And this is Rick Brandt, and we are the Brothers Brandt. And welcome to the podcast. We got episode 15. We, we have a uh, special guest on today. He is the athletic director for the University of Georgia. And uh, we're, we're pumped to have him on. Rick's going to intro him in a little bit, Greg McGarity. And uh, our last episode was uh, fantastic. We had a Yankee, a New York Yankee on, and we're hoping Zach Granite the best uh, when this coronavirus all plays out, and we hope he gets uh, to, uh, to the Bronx Bombers. So, uh, Rick, take it away. Intro our special guest today. That's sure right, Rob. My pleasure to introduce to everybody Greg McGarity, like you said, athletic director at the University of Georgia for the last decade. But Greg has a fascinating story. Greg grew up in Athens, Georgia. He grew up looking at and admiring the Bulldog program for many years. He ended up going to school there, starring on their tennis program, and then coached the women's tennis program shortly thereafter. He spent 18 years at the University of Florida in their athletic program and now finds himself as the top dog, and we are excited to have him here on the Brothers Brand podcast. Greg, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Hope you all are well. We're doing sure great. are. Good, good. Awesome. Hey, well, I want to jump right into this. We got a lot of great questions here and a lot to unpack, but I'm going to come in with a, with a fastball right now. Um, you grew up in Georgia. Georgia's known for its peaches. Greg, when I go down to Athens, where's the best peach cobbler? Wow, that's a tough one right there. Uh, I would have to say that probably Mother's, uh, which is kind of a breakfast-lunch joint. Uh, there are two locations in Athens, but I would definitely try Mother's for the best peach cobbler in town, for sure. Okay, sweet, sweet, awesome. I'll have to put that on my list to check out and maybe maybe we'll we'll try it when we're down at a bulldog game yes that'd be great <laughs> and uh all right so uh you have such a fascinating story being that you grew up in athens 
it's all coming full circle. You're there now. You've been the uh, athletic director for years. Walk us through the 10-year-old Greg McGarity. Walk us through. Walk us through your childhood being in Athens. Well, you've got to go back to 1964 uh, when I was 10 years old and first met uh, Dan McGill, who at that time was the head men's tennis coach. He was the sports information director, and he was the executive director of the Bulldog Club. So he really wore three hats and was really ultra successful in all three areas. And so I played tennis and learned to play tennis with Dan McGill uh, as my coach. And at that time, college coaches, even though he had those two other jobs, they were able uh, to really develop tennis in the community. And uh, me, along with three of my buddies, became sort of uh, uh, the young group of tennis players that would be developed uh, in Athens. And so we did menial tasks for him around the tennis courts. And for that, he would give us a tennis lesson and give us a, a dozen balls to practice with. And um, so as I got a little bit older and uh, worked up through high school with coach, I began to, uh, to work even more closely with coach as far as really everything. I remember in high school that uh, I was a student assistant in the sports information office as a high school student. So, and I played tennis during that time. And uh, let's put it one thing straight. I was not a star player. Okay. Coach was very nice to letter me <laughs> as a freshman in 1973, but I gave it a go for one year and I quickly realized that uh, being a college tennis player was not in the cards. Those two guys were way too good for me. So I started really just focusing on my career at that point in time. I knew I wasn't going to be a tennis player, but I also knew I wanted to be involved in athletics. And thank goodness I was hired in the summer of 1977 as the head women's tennis coach and assistant sports information director. Uh, And then I did those dual roles until 1981 and became uh, more or less involved in athletic administration and through uh, Joel Ease and Lee Haley and Dan McGill. Uh, they sort of promoted me along the way there. And then I had an opportunity to leave and go join Jeremy Foley in the summer of 1992 and uh, was there for 18 years. And then this job opened up in July of 2010. And here we are almost 10 years later, uh, bringing us full circle. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. I don't think you can script it any better than that, you know, starting out at 10 years old and then climbing the ranks. I mean, I'm loving it. I got goosebumps just hearing about it. Well, uh, as I say, life was so simple back then. I remember that uh, you'd ride your bike everywhere. And once you left the house, I remember mom and dad just saying, well, come back for dinner. And that was usually <laughs> about six o'clock. So nowadays you don't, uh, you don't, tell your child, you know, to go outside unless you're watching them or you want to know where they are all the time and you're tracking them everywhere. But back in those days where there are no cell phones or computers or anything, life was so simple. And uh, I wouldn't change one thing about it. And even though we were multitask and we worked our butts off, we had a great time. And so I'll never forget those times. And I was just so fortunate to be a young, a young boy that was able to be in a college environment at a very early age and uh, certainly sold me on all the good things about college athletics. Mm, mm, Yeah. So, okay. Now you went to school at UGA, you've Mm -hmm. coached there, you've been at the helm of the athletic department for a decade. 
You also worked for nearly 20 years in Gainesville for the Florida <laughs> Gators. Yep. Which I, I don't even want to get into it because that's the biggest <laughs> rivalry right there. I'm sure you caught a ton of flack from family, right? I did. I did. No doubt. <laughs> and then you spent 18 years there. And that right. rivalry easily ranks the best, or one of the best, if not yeah. the best in college sports, uh, the Florida-Georgia right. game. And it's slated for October 31st of this year on Halloween right. in Jacksonville. And it's annually known as being the world's largest outdoor cocktail yep. party. Having been on both yep. sides, can you share with our listeners what makes the game for all Georgia and Florida-Georgia matchups so fierce and festive? Yeah, this, uh, you know, it is unique being on both sides. And uh, for the University of Georgia, it's, it's a week at the beach. Uh, there's no class. There are no classes on Friday because of fall break, um, and so the student body and really all Georgia fans flock to the coast. They they'll flock to St. Simons, to Sea Island, to Jekyll Island, to Ponte Vedra, St. Augustine, and they make a week out of it. Seriously. On the other hand, the Florida fans just drive two hours and they're there at the game. There's probably probably not many that spend the night. Uh, unless you're in RV Village, which is a whole nother story there outside the football stadium. But so, so what is what is RV Village? I have no idea what that is. Break that. What they do is early that week, the city of Jacksonville opens up a, a, a lot of acreage around the stadium for okay. RVs. So they're Georgia and Florida fans that just have traditionally over the years have just packed thousands of RVs that that uh, congregate in the same spots for years and years and, and, and have just really created one of the unique happenings in, in college athletics. But they're in their RVs almost all week. I think they, I think actually they can enter the grounds maybe on Wednesday, uh, but there's a, a long line when they allow them in, but it's just, it's part of the nuance of, of what makes that game so special that so many people would, would go to the game in that manner. But, you know, it's an important game for both teams. Usually the winner of that game has the inside track getting to Atlanta for the SEC championship. And, you know, I've been on both sides winning and losing. And uh, winning is great. Losing, not so much because <laughs> of the ramifications of the game. But, you know, we'll be – Georgia will be going for their fourth straight win this year. So, uh, we're hoping hoping the good go, luck continues. Go dog. Go dog. Right. Yes, sir. <laughs> Man, I just loved uh, earlier when we were talking in, about – how we knew each other and how we met on the uh, sidelines and everything at the game. And it was just electric, the atmosphere, even though you guys were playing Appalachian right. State as like a warm up game, uh, you know, season opener, it was just so electric. And I, we, I, we loved being there and uh, being that you've been the athletic director for Georgia, you've, you've had an incredible staff, student body. Um, you, you've accomplished so many things over your years uh, and you have, easily one of the best athletic facilities in all of sports. Like, I'm just going to say like everything's mm -hmm. amazing. You, it's, it's incredible. Um, walk me through, walk us, walk our listeners through your top three favorite Georgia sports memories. Well, that's easy. Uh, <laughs> there's no question. The first one is the Rose Bowl game, the double over the overtime win against Oklahoma and, and Pasadena that, uh, that game was, uh, I still get chill bumps thinking of Sony Michelle running uh, the Wildcats in for the touchdown and leads us into Atlanta to play Alabama for the national championship. But just the environment for Georgia to play in the Rose Bowls, first time Georgia had been there since 1942. 
and just a tremendous environment and against a great team and one of the great games of all time. And then the other two would really have to be around the Notre Dame games, the 2017 game in, uh, in, in South Bend where Georgia fans outnumbered Notre Dame fans in the stadium and we won the game. And then last, uh, last year in September, the, the return game, which was the largest crowd ever at Sanford Stadium, a beautiful fall weekend in Athens and uh, one of the great games of all time in Sanford Stadium. And those three would be, at the, and there's so many, but those three uh, really, really stand out as, as uh, monumental games and, and games that meant so much to our, our program. Mm, yeah, I, I love how you go. That's easy, top three. You yeah. clearly, clearly know that one. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to pivot a little bit to the education of Georgia. We have a lot of friends that went there from New Jersey um, through sports, whether it was the O'Mara sisters um, mm -hmm. or it was uh, Cade Weston, who played defensive yep. uh, tackle. Rick and him were teammates in high school. Um, and then no Sean Marino right. uh, went to high school right, right next to us. I want to ask about the, the Hope Scholarship. Do I have yep. that right? And I feel like UGA – uh, separates themselves from, from like a lot of colleges with the standards that they hold for academics? Well, i tell you what, they, uh, Florida had something similar called the Bright Futures. So some schools are creative in how they uh, assist uh, students in their college experience. This is a tremendous benefit to Georgia families, the HOPE Scholarship. Uh, we have a number of our students that do qualify for the Hope Scholarship, especially like in the sport of baseball, which helps since you only have 11.7 scholarships. But I do know that it, it makes young people work that much harder. It sets uh, their parents up to maybe not have to pay the full freight for a college experience there. But I think it's one of the great things to set up. And I think a lot of the proceeds are, are funded through the lottery system in the state of Georgia. So it's just a, a great way for, for young people that have done great work academically to get a break on their college experience and the finances as, uh, as we certainly know, it's not getting any cheaper to go to college now. Uh, uh, costs are rising. I'm not so sure they'll rise this year due to the virus, but certainly there's been escalation in the past, but it certainly helps all those students that are in need as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I, our friends always talked about it. They said they got to keep hope alive. So That's right. No question. It's really important to so many Georgians. And I'm going to turn things over to Rick uh, for some questions he's got. Okay. You bet. What up, everybody? Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills, so we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show, guys. Yeah. Okay. Greg, that was some good stuff there. Appreciate you uh, reflecting on some of those memories. I too was uh, getting goosebumps thinking about that Rose Bowl <laughs> game. That was yeah. a thrill. It really was. Very much so. 
So, Greg, I wanted to ask you, you're very involved with the NCAA. You're very involved with the SEC, of course, there as the AD at the University of Georgia. You guys have done a great job over your tenure of building up a reserve, some mm -hmm. financial support for your athletics. And we know football is the sport that brings in the most revenue year after year. Now, you guys are in a, a strong position. There's a lot of smaller universities out there that perhaps with the coronavirus taking effect into the summer and into the fall, if we were not to have football this fall, what would that mean for a lot of smaller schools that aren't in the type of financial position that you guys are in? Well, I just uh, I feel for institutions that are, are not able to to make ends meet. You have a lot of schools that struggle right now. Uh, even if the virus was not in play, schools that have a very low reserve that are operating strictly on a year by year basis, uh, it'd be traumatic. Uh, you'd have to, I'm sure programs would be cut or sunsetted for one year in order to hopefully get back on track. But uh, I think a lot of institutions that receive state funding, we're fortunate that we do not receive state funding. Uh, the only revenue that's generated outside of athletics is through a student athletic fee. Uh, and that equates to about three and a half million dollars a year. And our budget this year was $154 million. So while it's substantial, it's not overwhelming. And so some schools uh, have a very high subsidy uh, that depend on student fees, that depend on state funds. And as we know, uh, state funding in, in all states is probably going to be impacted greatly by the economy right now. So there'll be a lot of tough decisions that people will have to make. You're already, already seeing some uh, individuals taking pay cuts and things like that through the end of the fiscal year, which is only just, you know, a month away because they just have to make ends meet. Uh, we haven't reached that level at this point in time, but needless to say, uh, this fall and this fiscal year coming up, fiscal year 2021 20, is going to look differently than it has in the past. There's no question about that. Wow, well said. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really scary, I think, for a lot of universities out there. It's glad, glad to hear that you guys are in a strong spot, and hopefully we do have football here this fall and all other athletics. I wanted to ask you, again, being with how involved you are, What's, what's your guys' cutoff date? When are you guys, you know, Kirby Smart and the football team, you know, it takes a month, two months mm -hmm. maybe to get ready to be prepared for games. Are you guys looking at maybe uh, May 15th, or June 1st, June 10th? Like when are you guys starting to narrow in on a date where we've got to be set for the fall? Well, I think realistically, you know, if we were to start around July 1st with student athletes back on campus, uh, I think everything you've read from the uh, medical professionals at six to eight weeks to prepare for competition is what's desired. Uh, we hope that's possible. Uh, all I know is we'll know a lot more in a month. Uh, imagine how much we've learned in the last month. And by the time June 1st comes, imagine how much more we'll know. And that, let's just say we had favorable news in, in June on June 1st then that allows us to ramp up to potentially have uh, young people back on our campus to prepare for football, volleyball, soccer uh, around July 1st. But even July 1st, uh, I think you, you could see dates slide to July 15th. You know, I think the key thing is it's going to be the fall of creativity because it's not going to be normal 
things are going to change, how much it changes really depends on the medical information and what we're safely able to do with our student athletes and coaches and staff. You guys are scheduled to kick off the season Labor Day weekend in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium mm -hmm. against Virginia, which is sure to be an amazing matchup. Do you foresee that stadium being sold out and packed like it has been in years past? You know, I've, I'm, just, I'm just guessing because uh, the, the virus will dictate that and whatever our governor, uh, Governor Brian Kemp, determined is best for social distancing in our state. I'm sure it will be applicable as well. So I think it's too early to tell what the stadium is going to look like. You know, we're really focused on playing the game. And then I think people are so anxious just to absorb live content. And if it's on TV, that's fine. I think just to be able to, to play the games and if we're able to have a segment of fans or obviously a full house would be great. I just don't know how realistic that is as we're sitting here talking, you know, in the first part of May what may happen, you know, three months from now. Well said. I love the perspective that you have. And hopefully you're right. In a month, we'll know a lot more about everything. Yes. And so one of the topics Rob and I wanted to chat with you about was the amazing sporting events that take place in the state of Georgia. Nothing mm -hmm. compares to a game in Athens and nothing compares to being in Augusta the week yeah. of the Masters. Those are right. two special sports atmospheres in the state of Georgia. And I'd love to get, I know our listeners out there wanted to hear, what's your guys' feel when it's Masters Week? Traditionally wow. in, in April, what the Athens, Augusta cities, what are those all like that week in April? Well, I have, uh, going back to my younger days, when you were able to just simply walk up to a, a kiosk and purchase a, a practice round ticket, for 10 bucks, uh, you know, I've, I mean, Augusta National is just the best. It's the old, uh, it's the best, you know, and having been able to, to bend on the grounds and walk the course and just to be, uh, just to have the opportunity to be in that environment is like none other. Uh, and Athens really benefits from that significantly because a lot of people that are at the Masters, they stay in Athens. Athens is a great city for downtown for food and beverage, and you know you're probably not paying the rates that you would that you would pay in Augusta to stay. So, and it's only an hour and a half drive. So, to be able to enjoy Athens and then just drive down the road, be able to be on Augusta National on the premises there is uh, is is like none other, and it's the the best time of the year. It kind of uh, shows that spring has sprung. And now with it uh, being on the weekend that we play Tennessee here in Athens this year, uh, it'll be a uh, maybe it'll be a doubleheader. Maybe maybe by the end, you know, when the last last shots hit on that uh, Saturday afternoon before the the final uh, round on Sunday, that they can absorb a, a Georgia Tennessee matchup in Sanford Stadium, maybe seven thirty or eight o'clock that night. That would be that would be fantastic, and what a hell of a sports day it would be. If the scheduling gods can allow for it, I think that would be one of the all-time yes. greatest doubleheaders in the state of Georgia. So, no doubt. No so, doubt. Greg, I just want to jump in here, and, and I, I echo that 1,000%. <laughs> Rick, when uh, the Masters got moved, Rick and I were looking at the Georgia schedule, and we saw that. And uh, <laughs> a fun fact about Rick and myself is we actually worked security at the Masters is <laughs> all, all week. We're on whole – we're on the uh, practice putting green 
the okay. green and the first tee box. So, Damn. and we're there the entire week. So we were like, eyeing that up and we were like, oh man, but we're going to be here. I don't know if we can get over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be creative and find a way to get there. There's no doubt about it. I don't doubt that at all. And then a well, follow-up question I have to ask, have one, have you played Augusta? And if you have, how have you, how have you fared? Uh, the answer to the question is yes. Uh, you know what? I don't think I even kept score. I was uh, uh, actually got to play it with our with our son several years ago, and uh, we played East Lake. It was an open weekend in the fall, and so Friday we played East Lake in Atlanta, and then Sunday we went down to Augusta, and we're the uh, the guest of a member there, and we were able to. To play 18, uh, we're able to go go in the in the the, uh, the clubhouse and look around a little bit, then play the par three, and then I remember getting in the car about five o'clock that day and asking Alex how how, how do you think it was? And at that time he was you know 16, 17 years old, and he says, "I don't need to play golf anymore. I've done it all, and I've had the greatest <laughs> experience of my life." So you know, it's like. You know, I didn't really care what I shot. I think it was just the opportunity to, you know, go up there and, and really see the course when the uh, the grandstands are not in place. It's a totally different kind of experience uh, yeah. at that point in time. But I was just uh, – Alex and I were just so lucky. And, uh, you know, I couldn't even tell – I know where my first tee shot was. I was in the bunker on the right. Hey. But, uh, but after that, uh, and we were playing the up tees too. Okay, so we weren't playing the tips, but uh, but it was a great experience, and uh, 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 we were just so fortunate to to have an invitation to play, and really we'll never forget it. And, wow, and another couple follow ups. Sorry, I'm just dovetailing yep. questions right now. But um, one, did you get chills when they announced your name? Well, you know what, on this, we just simply walked up to the tee box. And when we're playing with a member, you just show up. Uh, I don't even know if we had a tee time. It's just like, you know, there's, you just walk up and play. And all I did was just obey. I mean, it was, it was one of these things, let's go up here and hit a few balls. Let's go, you know, we'll tee off here in 30 minutes. And here's your caddy. And, you know, we just, you know. I never forget when I was on the tee box, and I can't remember. I don't think it was at Augusta. I think it was another course but where they, they had caddies, and we were on the practice range. I don't play a lot of golf, but I love to play. And when I'm really, really playing well, I'm about an 18 handicapper, okay? If I can play bogey golf, that's okay. So I was I was up on the practice tee, and uh, uh, the guy said, okay, how far do you hit your sub-mire? And I said, oh, gosh you know, anywhere from 135 to, you know, 150. It just depends on the day. What about your five iron? Uh, you know, 140 to 160. And he says, let me give you some advice. He says, don't take this the wrong way. Try playing golf with only your odd irons. Because, you know, if I had to said, hey, I hit my five iron 150 every time, it's a little bit different. But when I'm ranging from 140 to 160 <laughs> with a five iron, he said, you'll have a lot more fun. So, you know what I did? I, I pulled those even irons out of my bag, and I went with my driver, my three wood, and uh, with my with my uh, three five seven nine wedge putter. Man, I had a great day. <laughs> <laughs> your your awesome. bag was your bag was a lot lighter too. 
And that might have been why he was saying he didn't want to tote the bag with all the irons in there. <laughs> no, it was good advice. And right now in my garage, my, my even irons are not even in my bag anymore. <laughs> and and how um, how did you fare on the par three? Any any hole-in-ones, any close calls? No, no, no. No, all I know is I went aiming corner. I went uh, – I bogeyed. I, I, I was over on the par three. I think I bogeyed 13. And, uh, and, uh, let's see, 11, 11, 12, yeah, 12, 12, I was 12, I bogey, 13, I bogey and 14 was a nightmare. I just remember, <laughs> I think that's the hardest par four on the course. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but no, no disasters. Uh, it's like one of these things too, when you're playing, uh, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're way out of play, you pick up and you move on. I think the worst thing to do is if you're playing golf with somebody that's not really good and they're, you know, plumb bobbing every putt, it's like, okay, if it's in the leather, it's good. So in Augusta, that's a good thing when the member says that's good because I have putt in there. There are a lot of four or five putts there. I was going to say, Greg, when you talked about your first tee shot going in the bunker on the right, that's much better than the trees on the right. <laughs> well, you know, I was so nervous doing that, and I think we, we, even, we even hit a, a mulligan on the first hole just to calm down a little bit. But, you know, once you – you know, it's all about the weather. It's about the environment. It's about walking in the footsteps of, of where so many have trod. And if you've watched it for so many years, it's just uh, – you know, it's just I still get goosebumps thinking about it. What's your favorite memory, not playing, obviously, with your son, which is probably the number one memory, but maybe as a spectator, what maybe over the years has been something that stood out to you? Well, uh, I don't think there's uh, – I don't really – the only event I've gone to, in the Masters even, was during practice rounds, okay, because I just – I want to watch it when – I want to watch TV on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But without question, the 86 Masters was the greatest ever. And when CBS uh, ran the replay recently and had Jack on TV, uh, I mean, it was absolutely the greatest. And I thought it was the greatest sporting event I'd ever seen because everybody in our family is such a Jack Nicholas fan. And uh, to watch he and his son do what they did on the back nine, uh, that Sunday still – you know, still stands out as, as the greatest golf moment I've ever witnessed on TV, although it wasn't live. It well, was live on TV, but not, not, not there personally. <laughs> Just to have watched that must have been incredible. Um, I know a lot of people ranked that up there with last year's Tigers victory. Yeah, it was, you know, you know, Jack was 46 and everybody had kind of given up on him. And uh, just to see, you know, he's, Sometimes when you watch Jack, Jack Nicholas play, he wasn't that emotional. But man, when he when he rammed that putt in on 17, and there's Vern Lundquist with the yes sir. I think you know everybody said let's go, and we were just praying that he got, got was able to get off the tee on 18 and go ahead and do what he needed to do to win. But you know he got through early that day. I mean he was so far behind that it was you think of it he was walking up maybe the the last guy on the course. You know there was still a lot to play after that, but. Needless to say, to watch them and, and to hear the, the CBS replay was really, really so, so exciting to see. Greg, I want to uh, take it back to Athens as we wind down here on this podcast. Rob and I can't tell you how much we appreciate your friendship and your leadership on campus with all of the things that you guys have accomplished throughout your tenure 
And trust us when we tell you we'd love to see you there 10 years from now as the AD. But (laughs) over the 10 years that you have been there thus far, what are some of your accomplishments as a whole department that you're most proud of? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so fortunate to work with a very talented group of people. Uh, I think one thing we've really done a, a good job is hire really talented people uh, who have experience in their areas of responsibility and just empower them and let them go, let them grow, let them make a few mistakes. It's not the end of the world. Uh, but I'm really proud to, to watch staff develop. Uh, I'm really proud of, of how our donors have responded in helping us raise the funds necessary for our football expansion projects uh, through the McGill Society, which is a philanthropic program that started back in the September of 2015. This generated over 100, almost $150 million during that time. So a lot of staff have their fingerprints all over that uh, but just to, just to really be a part of a lot of really, really good things and to be around student athletes and watch them graduate and watch them become, uh, you know, they come in maybe a little raw, you know, a little, some reserved, some scared, and to see them graduate and become young men and young women and productive members of society, uh, that's without question the most rewarding thing about what we do because, you know, even though we get older, our population stays the same with 18 to 21 year old uh, young men and women. And they, they kind of keep us kind of young because they really, really uh, keep us busy all the time. You certainly set them up for success. We know a bunch of Georgia grads that are doing wonderful things out there in the world. So you guys are definitely doing a phenomenal job. Again, Rob and I really appreciate you joining us here on our podcast today. Last question, then we'll get you out of here. Okay. Tell me about University of Georgia tennis and what the tennis program there is all about. I know you're passionate about the sport of tennis. Well, you know, we've only had two coaches coach our men's tennis team for the last, I think, 60 years. Uh, Dan McGill and then Manuel Diaz took over, and Manny just won his 700th. He's, he, he eclipsed Dan McGill's record of total wins at Georgia, which was 706. So Manny eclipsed that record this year and has just done a phenomenal job. But, you know, back when Coach McGill, who really created college tennis on a national scale and kind of like the grandfather of tennis at the University of Georgia, uh, hosted the NCAA championships from 77 through 92 every year. And then all of a sudden, other, other programs built tennis stadiums and had interest. So it's moved around a little bit. And so we're, we're hopefully in the hunt for future tennis championships. But it used to be the sport on campus. I mean, football's always been the sport. But in the springtime, tennis was just such a popular sport. Uh, but since we were back in the quarter system in those days, but now we're in the semester system, so in May, you know, we're in Maymaster and there are very few students on campus, but it plays an important role on our, in our uh, history of our program. And a lot of that goes back to Dan McGill and everything he did to really promote college tennis, not only locally, but nationally. And really it's a credit to him and everything we've done and, and Manny Diaz to continue that tradition. That's great. That's awesome. I know uh, tennis holds a dear spot in your heart. And man, we can't thank you enough, Greg. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. For 
for all you listeners out there, my name is Rick Brandt. And I'm Rob Brandt, and we're the Brothers Brandt. Thanks for listening, and let's go dogs. Okay. All right, guys. Y'all be well. Take care. Okay. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.